Hello, and welcome to another episode of the No Files Given podcast. For, uh, for a few years now, Perry and I have this almost traditional ritual where after an Olympiacos game in Europe, uh, we'll call each other and we'll get into this deep dive analysis of the game, uh, dissecting every detail. And uh, most of the time, 20, 30 minutes into the call, my, my girlfriend will be rolling her eyes like, why the hell are you talking about the distance covered by X player on the field? How does that even matter? So naturally, I called Perry on Thursday after Olympiacos' game uh, in the Europa League. And uh, very quickly, he, he stopped me and said, hey, let's just talk about this on the podcast. Uh, obviously, this would be a great conversation to have on the, on the podcast, but also because you know we have a couple of uh, very interesting guests that uh, you know, we'll be talking about Olympiacos and, and in general, Greek soccer. Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, I don't know how you still have a girlfriend. That's the <laughs> first first thing that comes to mind. Um, second uh, is yeah, uh, I'm I'm pumped because we got a. It's our favorite team. We got a W anytime that uh, your team wins in Europe. It's something to celebrate, and uh, we're very excited because we're doing kind of a crossover episode with another uh, podcast. So we have Peter Thompson and Aris Bulubasis. Uh, from Gate 7 International Podcast. Uh, this is your go-to for any uh, Greek soccer news, basically, for a podcast. And uh, we're really excited to have them on the show. Uh, I'm going to have them introduce themselves here in a second. And because today's uh, episode is going to be focused on Greek soccer, I want them to introduce themselves and tell us about the Greek soccer team that they fell in love with and that kind of is the reason that they do what they do uh, with their podcast. And uh, they'll talk about more about their show uh, later on. So uh, Peter, Adi, uh, I don't know who wants to go first, but uh, Peter. Adi, you're the oldest. You go first. <laughs> I uh, thank you guys so much for having us. I'm Adi. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited. Um, started the Gate 7 International podcast with Peter Lambro. Actually, they're the ones that initially wanted to do it. When they first told me that they wanted to do it, I, I was like, eh, I don't know about this. But we did it, and it's been a really exciting project. Uh, excited to be here and talk to you guys about Greek soccer. Adi, you got to tell us your uh, your favorite Greek team. What, what, what made you fall in love with Greek soccer? Oh, right. So obviously my favorite Greek team is Olympiakos. And what really made me fall in love with Greek soccer, I want to say it was the 97, 98 season, might even be 98, 99 season. Uh, when I was younger, I used to obviously watch the games whenever I would be at my Bapu's house or my grandfather's house for your non-Greek listeners. And I became more aware, I guess I have better memory of that 98, 99 season. And I just remember watching Olympiakos Panathinaikos, Olympiakos Aik. The team, at the time, the team had the greats on it. Stelius Yanakopoulos, Georgievich, Gojic, Yorgos um, uh, Amanatidis was on the team, Yorgatos. Uh, I remember all of those guys sitting there with my bapu and just going nuts for those games. At the time, obviously, I wasn't super aware of the, we'll say, the the specifics of soccer or things like that. I just enjoyed spending time with my my family, my bapu, and watching the game. And then, of course, as I got older, it became a part of me. 
Uh, I had more pride, not just in my team, but in Greece as well. And it just went from there. And I always loved the Libyakos. And every year I love them more and more. And that's where, how I am where I am today. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, that, that 90s team, I remember them as well. That was the team that I, uh, that I first fell in love with. And it kind of transitioned into the early 2000s. Um, but yeah, that team and, you know, I remember my dad getting so excited when they made a signing like Giovanni. Yeah. You're a kid. You don't know what it means for a player to come from Barcelona to Olympiacos. You're just like, oh, okay. He has a nice sounding name. Um, and next thing you know, he does the stuff that he does on the, on the pitch. And, uh, uh, even if you're not an Olympiacos fan, just hit Giovanni Olympiacos best moments on YouTube yeah. and just you'll fall in love. You'll fall in love because the guy just, you know, he he defined Greek football for a nice period of time. Um, Peter, I want, I want you to introduce yourself and tell us about how you fell in love with Greek football because you're not even Greek. So uh, yeah. for, for, for the status of what Greek football is today, uh, many people would ask, uh, why the fuck <laughs> unfortunately that's where the league is kind of transitioned to but uh we still love it we still watch so tell us how you uh you came to be an olympiacos fan yeah yeah so <clears throat> i'm peter and uh, i'm very excited to be on the podcast with uh, with perry and evan it's been a great production so far i've enjoyed listening to the episodes that i've been able to catch up with um i have I'm a, a fairly recent uh, Olympiacos fan, I would say. Uh, you know, um, I'm a bit younger than Adi, and also I didn't get into football until a bit later in life. Um, I met Adi and Lambro, one of our other hosts, uh, when I was a student at the University of Maryland. And Lambro and I were the same year, so we got to know each other quite well, and, and he's been an Olympiacos fan for a long time. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, I would go over to his place to watch games, Um and the one game that I remember watching that really captivated me and made me fall in love with Olympiacos was, uh, it was in 2018, I think, the 2018-19 season. It was November 11th, 2018, Olympiacos, Panathinaikos. Obviously the huge derby. Uh, everybody knows about it. Uh, this game in particular was very entertaining. Panathinaikos went up with a goal early in the, <clears throat> early in the second half. And then Olympiacos, very, very late in the game, uh, through Pape Abusise, equalize on a header, 1-1 uh, final. It was just an unreal scene uh, for me. You know, I've, I've watched some English football at the time before and some Champions League and stuff, but I'd never seen anything quite like the Greek Super League. Uh, just the fans, the, the, you know, everyone knows about the spectacle of the fans is insane you know, the passion and how much it means to the players and to the fans and to Lambro going crazy on the couch next to me. Like it was just something super unique that I'd never experienced. So it was very easy for me to just sort of continue following the team through him and eventually like growing a love for the team myself. And uh, yeah, like Adi said, over last summer, we sort of cultivated the idea of starting a podcast in English because obviously a lot of the Greek football content uh, is in Greek. And it's been a relative success, I would say we've had a lot of fun with it, you know, not a huge amount of people listening, but we have some some really great fans and listeners that interact with us. So, so far, I think it's been a really fun ride. And I hope we can keep doing it. 
Well, I mean, just the fact that you've had some uh, former players that are considered, you know, very important to the history of the club. Um, you know, I think that's uh, an accomplishment in its own. And, you know, Adi, I remember when we first met, when I was uh, down in D.C. at uh, American University, uh, you know, we were always talking about how there wasn't any English content for Greek football in general. Right. So, I mean, uh, and now you're you're being name dropped on some of the more uh, respected and looked upon news sources in Greece, which is Gazeta. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, you guys keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, I, I'm so happy that I've had the opportunity to be a guest. And unfortunately, I was spot on with a prediction uh, for one of the Olympiacos Champions League games when I did so. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. UEFA Mafia, it's a thing. Uh, maybe we'll get into it a bit later, but hopefully not because that makes me mad. Hey, Olympiacos did win in Europe on Thursday. Uh, they beat PSV Eindhoven 4-2 at home. And it's fair to say that game wasn't for the faint-hearted. Uh, it had many goals. It could have had just as many more. Uh, a lot of you know, defensive errors. It was a very open game to say the least. Yeah, it was um it was one of those games where if you're a neutral fan, you love to see that. I mean, who doesn't love to see six goals in a football match? Um that being said, if you're invested the way we are, it causes a little bit of stress. But uh yeah, let's uh let's dive into the game. Uh why not? So uh Evan, you want to start off uh, just your your overall impressions, uh, uh, what you liked, what you didn't like, and you know, uh, going into the second leg, uh, what do you think are some of the keys, maybe? For sure. So anytime uh, your team scores four goals in Europe, it doesn't happen quite often. I remember growing up as a kid, a lot of the games, uh, you know, if we were to score one goal, we'd be lucky. A lot of the games, and you know, when we're playing away, we'd lose. So I think it's been a breath of, of fresh air almost seeing Olympiacos perform in Europe the last five years or so where they're actually putting up, you know, good performances. They're scoring a lot of goals. And yes, you know, Thursday was one of those games where they, they, they just had so many chances and they were, they were creating. And the wingbacks were sort of, you know, coming in and crossing the ball. And th there was definitely a lot of movement uh, on the field. That being said, there were also a lot of mistakes that I saw. Um, I think it's kind of normal, especially when three out of your four players in defense uh, came in during the January transfer window. Uh, so it's going to take some time to gel. Uh, our best defender, Ruben Smedo, was sitting on a red card from uh, last game against Porto in the Champions League. So he didn't play in this game. Hopefully he's back for the second leg. And yeah, the second leg in, in Holland it won't be an easy one. I think if PSV goes up 1-0 in the first half, there's going to be a bit of stress because all they'll need is a second goal, uh, sitting on those two away goals from Greece. Uh, but I'm confident, I'm really confident that Olympiaco will, will score in Holland as well, which will make it e easier for them. And yeah, I can't wait till till next week. I mean, if, if we get even half of the uh, sort of show we got on Thursday, we're in for a nice game. Absolutely. And uh you know, I think that I have a buddy who's a PSV fan. And so we were chatting the other day 
And, you know, their midfielder, Sankare, uh, he picked up a card. He's not going to be in the, in the next leg. And it's going to be very interesting because he, the PSV's manager has been taking a lot of... Uh, he, he's been under the gun in Dutch media and fans because he plays with two defensive midfielders. Uh, and, you know, modern football kind of says, you know, you only need the one. Um, so they only have one other player for that position. And so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, tactically, they might have to adjust and play something out of their 4-2-2-2 that they've been playing. And if that happens, you know, does the coaching staff at Olbiaco have a game plan for what they may not have seen yet from PSV? Um, Peter, Adi, uh, feel free to jump in. I'd love to get your takes from uh, leg one. The first leg pretty much played out kind of how we expected. We we knew it was going to be pretty open. We had spoken previously with uh, Tice Verhar, a Dutch journalist that covers pretty much all things in, in Dutch football. And he said the same thing. PSV plays pretty open. You know, we're quite offensive as well. We knew there was going to be goals in this game. I didn't know if there was going to be this many six goals, but we were expecting, I think, like a 2-2, maybe even a 3-1, something like that. And that's exactly what we got. The Dutch team plays very openly, but they left a lot of weaknesses, mainly in that center back area. And Tice had mentioned to the, this to us as well. Attack the center backs. That's their weakest point. We had watched a lot of film on PSV as well. Their left center back, whether it was Rosario or whether it was Baumgartel, horrible players. And you need to attack them. All of the highest X-goal threats. And for your audience that don't know what X-goal is, X-goal is just a, it's an algorithm that takes the position of a ball that the player has and the type of shot, where it's from, and they average it. It's an exponentially weighted moving average from the past five years to determine what the likelihood is out of a hundred times, if you made that shot, if you would score it. So most of the highest threatening chances against PSV are attacking the center backs, especially the left center back. And you could see, man, Baumgartel had a hard time. This poor guy couldn't complete passes, couldn't close anybody down. And that's the weakness. And I got to tell you, going into the second leg, I don't see why how the goals stop. PSV has to open up. They're going to have to attack us. And they are ripe, ripe for the counter. So I'm excited to see what the second leg has to hold. And I am quite positive going into it. Uh, what was that uh, center back's name that came in? The sub? What, what was his name? Baumgartel? Baumgartel. Okay. Uh, at one point, the, the announcer on the zone said that he was Olympiacos's best player. And I was just... Yeah. He, he absolutely roasted the guy in that moment. And it's just like, have some professionalism. Like, what, what are you doing calling the guy? Like, and to be fair, by the end of the game, he had kind of found his footing. It took him a while. But towards the end, he was actually sending up some some passes that were, they were leading to some attacks. Um, but man, uh, and you know, when when he came on just before he came on as a sub 
there was an injury to the other center back. And that's when Olympiacos, you know, there were shouts from the bench to press and be more aggressive because they had the man advantage. And it actually ended up resulting in a goal. So, uh, yeah, they uh, they did some uh, they did some damage on uh, on that defense and and like you said, they scored four goals on them and they didn't have to open up in this first game. That was just PSV doing PSV things, and we kind of knew it was going to happen because they also played against uh, Pauk, uh, another Greek team in the in the group stage, and the games were very similar to that. You know, I remember Pauk scored three goals in a matter of 10 minutes uh, in the first game between them. And then in the second, PSV just torched them out of nowhere. So, you know, this leg is definitely not done yet. Uh, But with Semedo coming back, I don't see how Olympiacos doesn't go through. Uh, But again, it's Europe. UEFA Mafia is a thing. Uh, a quick red card to someone and next thing you know i'm breaking furniture so uh peter what were your thoughts your thoughts on uh leg one harry first of all um i I can't believe you've just gone and said that there's no way that this could go wrong like my god if like one of you guys is a liverpool fan right is it evan is a liverpool fan Okay, that's right. Like clearly, yeah. like Messi last year or two years ago was saying, "Oh, it it won't go wrong, no way." And then like Trent corner taken quickly, like come back from what three zero down. Like this is these these ties in Champions League and Europa League, like they are never over. It's cr- like the stuff you see is just ridiculous. So I just want to just want to preface that. You know, I'm pretty happy with the result. I wish we would have gotten maybe five goals, obviously. Would have put a little bit of extra security on the tie. But overall, a two-goal victory, you know, only conceded two to a team that has not been held scoreless all season long, I don't believe. Uh, That's pretty good. Scoring four goals is excellent. The goals were beautiful to watch as well. Shout out Jan and Vila. He was not 100% for folks who haven't been following the team leading up to the game. We didn't believe he would play on Thursday, and he came in, put an excellent shift, scored an absolutely gorgeous goal that was really big for the momentum of the team. So huge, huge shout out to Jan and Vila. Um, Yeah, I mean, like Adi said, this game was absolutely unreal to watch. I think the team did a really good job. Pretty much everybody played well. Pedro Martins, the manager, made some really good changes. I think um, in the second half, he put on those the three Greek players, Masuras, Rusai, and Andruzos, um, maybe around the 80th minute, 75th minute. And then shortly after, we really put the pressure on PSV and scored that absolutely crucial fourth goal. Folks, if we were going to win that game 3-2, I was going to treat that like a draw because it's so easy to go into Eindhoven and lose by one goal. I was not going to be happy with three, two. I was going to treat that like it wasn't a win. So for Masuras to score that goal and the beautiful goal that it was, that felt like a winner to me, huge, huge moment. And for him to rebound from Panathinaikos for folks who aren't familiar, this, this is the same guy who missed an absolute sitter against our biggest rivals, Panathinaikos down two one in a crucial moment. And so it's good for him to come back and actually, you know, convert the chance. Um, overall, 
yeah, very exciting game. I was screaming at the top of my lungs every time we scored. Unreal finish. And I uh, just got to hope that we don't have anything catastrophic happen next week. Need to make a quick correction, too. I said Rosario earlier, but it was Boscogli was the center back. So my bad. No, it's uh, it's quite all right. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's crazy how the Masura's goal was basically shot for shot the exact same chance he missed with Panathinaikos. So, I mean, that's what you want to see, right? You want to see players kind of fix their mistakes. And that's what he did. And to be honest, I didn't mind losing to Panathinaikos just because, you know, there is literally nothing this team has to focus on right now other than European competition. I know it's it sucks. The uh, This team, this Pedro Martins team, which has been worked on now it's in year three of this project it's a shame that they can't quite get that undefeated um and it's something that's evaded olympiacos for their entire history right panathinaikos have an undefeated season Pauk, unfortunately with that super team that they had a couple of years ago got it and olympiacos hasn't been able to quite get it that being said because of that loss they don't really have anything to focus on. They've got a comfortable lead in the Greek uh, Super League. Uh, it seems like the teams chasing them keep dropping points and they will continue to do so because they're just not at that level. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, good uh, good things uh, for this team right now. Um, I want to shift uh, the conversation to... Uh, some uh, Greek topics uh, outside of Olympiacos because uh, as well on your podcast, it's more than just uh, uh, Olympiacos stuff. Obviously, Olympiacos is the driving factor, but there are other uh, stuff that you touch on. But before we shift to other teams, um, about a week, two weeks ago, we saw Olympiacos go on an absolute re-signing rampage where they just banged out new contracts for uh, a whole bunch of their players. And uh, the way I see it, it's just, you know, making sure that you uh, secure your assets more or less. I mean, that's what it is, right? Especially for the cases of guys like uh, Kamara and Ba. These are guys that can be sold for, record-setting numbers by Greek standards. Um, so I, I want to talk about that and how other teams, the top Greek teams, don't necessarily uh, hit the mark on that. You know, we've seen guys leave Pauk or Aik for almost nothing because they don't take care of business on this side of things. Uh, Peter, go ahead. Yeah, so the first thing I want to say is you know, as you said, good on the club and good on Marinakis for getting all these extensions done. I believe, and Adi, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe some of these were sort of discussed over the summer and not officially announced until now. But, I mean, 10 players, and most of these are contracts until 2023 or 2024, which I guess isn't actually that far away. It's 2021 now, but still nice to get these guys locked down. Um, as you said, some of these contracts are going to be mainly for the purpose of up. Uh, upping the the sale value. I mean, Ruben Semedo got a contract extension until 2024. 
And it wouldn't surprise me to see him go this summer. Mari Kamara, you know, we didn't see him have a great game in uh, PSV on Thursday, but, and, you know, he's a fantastic player and he's going to be worth a lot of money on the transfer market. But also, I really like to see that um, the club is showing some investment in two of our young Greek players who have finally gotten the breakthrough in the team that they've deserved this year. And that's Mario Vrusai and Thanasis Andrutsos. They both got extended until 2024, I believe. Uh, and these were guys who maybe halfway through the season or, or, you know, a few months ago, we were unsure what their future was with the club. They weren't playing. We didn't know what was going to happen to them. And now they're both important pieces to this team. So I'm really happy to see the club investing in those guys. But to answer your question about what other teams are doing, I mean, yeah, it just seems like um, they're, they're less willing to make these long-term commitments. And maybe it's just because obviously Olympiacos have more financial resources than any other team in Greece, like it has to be said. But I mean, I can tell a story of, of a, a Panathinaikos player, uh, Vasilis Zagaritis. Well, he's not a Panathinaikos, he's not a Panathinaikos player anymore. Um, but he's a, a young left back, 19 years old, very talented. He, he showed some good performances in the Super League during the first half of the season. And uh, basically, Arafuzos, the owner of Panathinaikos, was just unwilling to, uh, to meet his demands in terms of wages. They were working on a new contract extension. And Zagaritis' demands were not very much. Uh, I forget the exact figure, but he wasn't asking for a lot of money. And Alafuzos was not willing to, to reach that number with him. And so they ended up selling Zagaritis to Parma in Italy for like 500,000 euros. You know, as a very talented young Greek player out the door for not very much money. And of course, um, you know, a lot of these teams have debt to deal with as well. Panathinaikos uh, had the debt for a long time. They are starting to do a good job uh, to, to lower that debt down. Of course, they had the, uh, the whole debacle of being banned from Europe. Balk had the debt that forced them to sell a lot of their key players at a relatively untimely moment. They basically uh, waited until right before their Champions League qualifier game and sold all their players. I don't know why. It's a debatable move from Balk, but yeah, I mean, it, it just, there's a lot of things in Greece. Uh, it has to be said, they're not run as cleanly as they are in other countries. And that's why sometimes I think you see a lot of these players go from, from these teams for, for next to nothing, and then they end up being a star somewhere else. I just wanted to mention uh, another player that also got an extension at Olbiaco is uh, El Arabi. And some would question this new contract uh, just based on his age. But it's important to mention a lot of teams from the Middle East have been knocking on Olbiaco's door the last six months for this player. And although he's 34 going on to 35, if I'm not mistaken, he is probably the most prolific uh, center forward Olympiacos has had in the last five years, at least. Um, and he just, he just has a sense for, for the net. And even outside the box where, you know, a, a lot of the, the modern day football requires the center forward to be uh, agile outside the box and not just be, you know, unidimensional. I think El Arabi provides that for Olympiacos. And I'm honestly uh, really excited that he's continuing. And true, for, you know, the current times, a 2 million euro contract uh, at a Greek soccer club is very high. He is the highest paid player in the league, but I think well-deserved. Yeah, and uh, Peter, you mentioned the two uh, academy boys also getting... Uh 
extensions. Uh, having worked in an academy myself, you know, that's the kind of thing that I love to see. Um, and it's difficult to see at Olympiacos because of, you know, the uh, the demands of this club. You know, we need to be winning the league every year. And it's it's tough. It's very difficult to break in kids from the academy. And a lot of the success stories that we've seen in the last 10 years when it comes to the academy, it's guys that have gone out on loan and come back. And uh, Vrusai had a, a great campaign last year in uh, Dutch football with, uh, I believe it was Willem, who are unfortunately struggling to uh, remain in the in top top flight football this year. Um, and Andruzzo had a couple of spells in, in, in the Greek league. But at the end of the day, that's what these kids need, right? It's it's games and it's experience. And uh, unfortunately, uh, when you're young, you're not going to quite get that. Zolakis is kind of breaking that trend, but he's also a super talent. And he's kind of that uh, Rezzo level talent where they only come once every five, six years. Um Peter, you also mentioned uh, Panathinaikos and the financial situation. Ari, I want to shift to you because I think you have a better understanding of what's happened. Uh, it's always great to watch an Olbiakos Panathinaikos game, even now when they've kind of been at a low point, if you will, in their in their life cycle. Uh, but they always save their best for Olympiakos, and I kind of love that about them, just because. It makes the games that much more interesting. Um, tell us, uh, they they had accrued a, a massive amount of debt. Where are they in paying that off? Because I'm starting to hear about them building a new stadium. Honestly, I goes debt issues have been a never-ending story. And this all started with the investments made for that double winning side in the 2009-2010 season. Um, some of your non-Greek listeners might not know, but the the Greek ones, especially if they were old enough, will remember Gibro Cissay, Simao, uh, the laughable right-back situation with uh, crippled Setaridis and Luka Vintra, uh, probably the worst Greek right-back I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Sotiris Ninis in his prime. Ninis in his prime, yes. Sydney Govu. <laughs> I, yeah, Govu as well. I forgot about him. Uh, yeah, uh, Sebastian Leto. The, that team that won the double and then went into the Champions League to win, that, they were the first Greek team to not win a single game in a Champions League campaign. They had a single tie against Ruben Kazan. The whole time, or sorry, two ties, two ties against Ruben Kazan. The whole group stage in the w- champ was was their coach Hank Tenkate? No, that was Neil. Or was that a- it? Was after Tenkate? Oh God, yeah. Remember, he cried in the media Stop. after. Stop. <laughs> I'm gonna start to cry. That's so cringy. So the but what went into that double winning side? Panathinaikos uh, had this like weird triumvirate of owners back then. Sigur, I guess Varnoyanis when they were kind of divesting from the club, and then Alofuzos was a minority owner. W- was Pateras in there as well? Pateras technically had pulled out already. He was still he was still a part of the club spiritually, I guess, because everyone used to reference him. He was like the the long lost father, but he had technically pulled out before then. His money was out. And if you guys remember in the two in 2011, 2012, he was spearheading that. 
sham of an investigation into Mighty Nike with splice tapes. That's a whole something wholly different we can get into. But that's what the buildup and where this debt started. We found out that some of the deals they made to get players like Cisse and uh, Govu and, uh, well, not so much Leto, but some of their other players were ridiculously inflated contracts that they could never support. And even when they got their Champions League winnings from the following season, they didn't come out of that season in the black. They were actually in the red by like almost 20 million euros. And in 2011, 2012, their debt figure was over nine figures. They had, a, at one point, it was reported that they were at 110 million euros of debt. This was in 2012 when they started the Panathinaiko Fan Alliance to try and get uh, an investment from fans into the club, like crowdsourcing. It was a mess. And then, of course, you know, God knows what was taken by the owners. Digger left, everybody left. And Alafuzos was the only one. And he tried to find owners or other other people to buy the club. Nothing worked out. There was that deal with that random Saudi prince. God knows if that was even real. Al Saad bin Sahad something. And then, of course, a few years ago, there was Pom Ping, Pom Ping Pong Sat, the Malaysian guy, who then turned out to be involved with 1MDB. A nightmare. A nightmare of shady deals to try and sell the club. But the debt was crazy. And credit to Alafuzos. Even though I don't like him as an owner, I think he's done some pretty scummy things. But Panathinaikos fans, I don't think give him the credit he deserves because he he cut things down. He shaved the budget to the detriment of the club, of course, but got the debt paid down. Three years ago, their debt figure had gone from over $100 million. He reworked debt deals. He even got the Greek government and... Uh, to, to give them a haircut on the debt that they owed for upkeep in Oaka that they never paid. Can you imagine these guys didn't pay upkeep for the Olympic stadium that they were using for almost 10 years? It's amazing. But he got them to give a haircut on the stadium fees, everything. Three years ago, the debt was under 50 million euro, which was huge. Uh, then Alafuzo started investing his own money, despite him saying he wouldn't again. And he has gotten the debt down to from things we've been reading before the this past season below 10 million. Then of course the failed investment with the Spanish revolution at Panathinaikos didn't help things, but the debt figure's still okay. They're now allowed to bring in players from outside of Greece. They were banned for 3 years from transfers by UEFA because of how bad the financial situation was there. But right now they're stable. They're, they're, you're not going to see them making huge splurges. They're not in that kind of position, but they have something here. They're, they're healthy. They can make moves. And of the, we'll say the, the big clubs of Greece, historically big clubs in Greece, I believe they're currently in the healthiest position with the field, the product they have on the field. Undefeated so far after the new year. And I'm hoping that this sees them kind of come back to their previous glory because this league needs a healthy Panathinaikos. I'm sorry. Bauk and Ike are not challenging Olympiakos. They're not pushing Olympiakos to be the next thing. Small clubs. One's a small club in Northern Greece in Thessaloniki. The other's a small club in Athens. Neither of them have European pedigree. They can't do anything in Europe. They have terrible owners. 
that's it. We need a healthy Panathinaikos because they're the only ones that are going to push Olympiakos to do more and help push Greece to bring the coefficient up further. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned them both as small clubs as they've each won a, a league title in the last three years. So uh, club. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure their fans uh, would uh, love to argue you on that point. But um, no, it's uh, that's a great rundown of Panathinaikos. And, you know, they just beat this great Olympiakos team. Uh, I actually didn't know that the game was going to be played at Leoforo, their traditional home ground until the morning of the game and when i saw that it was just it just hit me like a it slapped me in the face like a bad omen it's like i knew it wasn't gonna go well and um panathinaikos is one of the strangest cases i've ever seen right now because it seems like the players are so unhappy with the coaching staff where you're seeing them go to the owner and complain about the coach and this in, in specific, I believe it's a couple of his assistants. And yet they go out week by week and they're playing, they're getting results. They're not playing the most uh, attractive brand of football, but they are getting results. They've been the hottest team, like you said, since the restart of the season. And it goes even further than that. Um, and I agree. That's where we want Panathinaikos to be. Uh, we need healthy competition in uh, in Greece. Um, I want to shift over to one of the two small clubs that you referenced. Um, in particular, I want to get into Pauk because they have a diamond on that squad. They have an absolute top-level talent that Club Brugge in Belgium was ready to dish out 10 million euros in this past transfer window to get him. I've been told that they are very high on this player and they're not the only ones that have taken a notice of this kid Zolis in Pauk. Uh, I want to get your, your take on uh, that player and what he can mean for possibly the national team as well. Well, he's, you know, he's top. He deserves, he's worth what Club Bruges are, are going for. I believe that. He's incredibly talented at such a young age. He jumped on the scene. Um, how, you know, we call them a small club because they are a small club, but they've done a decent job with their academy, I think. And uh, Solis is a good example of that. He's put on some great performances at the biggest stage, which for Pauk is, you know, Champions League qualifiers and Europa League. But still, for a Greek player at his age to be doing that, you know, nobody else is. He is, I think, on the European scene, you know, sort of just starting to break the international headlines. Um, and I think he deserves that. Um, not to sound like I hate Pauk, you know, I think it's just a thing about Greek teams in general, Olympiakos included. Like the best thing for a lot of these young Greek players is to get out of Greece and go somewhere where they can, you know, potentially be relieved of the pressure of being a young Greek player with all this expectation. Think about Ninis, Fetfadzidis, like these kids can't catch a break. Everyone's following them around. Like nobody wants to be like that. And in Greece, you know, it's when you're Greek in Greece, it's just unlike anywhere else. You know, we had um, one of our PSV guests and, and we were talking about this mentality and they were, they were saying in the, in Holland, in the Netherlands, it's the exact opposite. Like the, the young Dutch kids are, you know, they're treated 
much more fairly. They're like, Oh, it's okay. You can take time. Like this will be all right. You know, that there's, there's a much more cautious mentality and some players need that. Uh, and so for players like Jolis, I mean, he doesn't seem like the type that's afraid of anything. He shows up in big games. Um, you know, sometimes he's, he's still a bit inconsistent, still has places he can improve, but I feel like a move overseas to him, a move overseas for him would be really beneficial. Also, I don't want to be playing against him anymore. Um, and hopefully we can see him more in the Greek national team as well, which is maybe something we'll get to because he definitely deserves more time for the Ethniki, even at his age. Yeah. And, and I think other than Club Bruges, there was also Leipzig, Brighton in the EPL and Manchester United that showed some interest. Wow, Perry. I, I'd prefer if he didn't go to Manchester United, but it just goes to say this player, you know, if he stays grounded, because I think at this age, it's so crucial to stay grounded because, uh, you know, Greece has over 15 soccer-related newspapers. And if they're all calling him the, the Greek Messi, like they did for Ninis and Fatfadzidis, uh, it's very easy for that kid's, you know, confidence to go through the, the roof. And, and he just has to work so hard. It's such a crucial age. And I agree with you guys. You know, he has to leave Greece. Uh, this was his breakout year uh, for Pauk, especially with, I, I believe it was the, the younger teams at Pauk where during the, the pandemic, they weren't uh, really playing. So a lot of the talent that was on, in, the, in the second team, they brought them up to the first team to train. And Jolis was just one of them. And he completely, uh, you know, broke through the team. And you even saw him in the beginning of the season in those European qualifying games. He wasn't shy to, to just, you know, pierce the, into the, you know, the box. And it was just a breath of fresh air in terms of Greek talent. And I really hope um, he doesn't wither away like a lot of the other ones did. Well, the other thing is that uh, I can't remember a Greek talent that had the ability to score as easily as he does. You know, you mentioned Ninis Fatzidis. These guys didn't have the goal the way that Zolis does. And yeah, I think uh, I also think that Pauk is the kind of club that they want the best for the player. Uh, that's the notion that I've gotten from them in terms of uh, developing players. Uh, and so I, I would be shocked if Zolis didn't leave in the summer. Um, and I think they'll send him to uh, a team like a Brugge. I don't want him at Manchester United. Eventually I do, uh, but I don't think he's ready for, for that move yet. I, I want him uh, when it comes to development. I've said this, I'm going to say it again. I want kids, Greek kids to go to Belgium and Holland. And we've seen success in, in past players. Bring it back to Olympiaco, you know, you look at Tsimikas. Tsimikas went on loan to Sweden and then Holland. He had a full season in Holland and he came back a different player. Uh, he, uh, and Vrusai at Willem, like mm. we mentioned earlier, he had a successful campaign there as well. Those are leagues that they promote young players and they want to see players develop because th as a league, the the Dutch and Belgian federations have said, hey, we can't compete with the likes of uh, the Premier League and the and the Spanish League and the Italian League. And that's okay. 
So what, what are we going to do? We're going to play younger players. We're going to put these quotas where teams have to play younger players. And next thing you know, you have so much talent in that league. I'm yeah, kind of concerned a little bit with Zolis, though. Here, not that, not that I disagree that he's not a talent. He is. He's at the forefront of the the young the young Greek players that are available, without question. But I feel like we're hitting the gas a little too hard with him right now, primarily because he has not scored or really contributed a lot of productivity in any derby matches. The the team the the best team that he has scored against, or we'll say produced against, is Asteras Tripolis. He has done nothing in any derby. He has done nothing against Olympiacos. Wait, in Adi, terms of that production, to be this fair, season, did, didn't he score a brace against Besiktas in the Champions League qualifiers? That's uh, yes, he did, and he did also score against Omonia as well. Right, uh, but based on how Besiktas is playing and Omonia. Let's let's we have to temper our expectations a little bit. All of his goals, Lamia, Larissa, Ofi, these are bottom dwellers in the Greek Super League. So we, I'm part of me is concerned, and Panatolikos, of course. Literally, we're, we're talking about the worst three teams in the Greek Super League right now. So what what concerns me is that we're giving all these high expectations, and then he's going to go somewhere and then be exposed, and that's what concerns me. If if he were scoring against Olympiacos, Ike, and replicating those performances against the bigger teams, I would be a little bit more confident. But I am concerned because I see him scoring against the minnows, small teams, teams that are Larissa especially. Uh, he had the hat trick against Larissa, and they're getting easily getting relegated. Worst team in the league by far. Not that there isn't something to it that he can actually do it, because if it were that easy, everybody would do it, right? But the fact that it's only happening against these bottom tier teams is concerning to me. And I don't, what I really, really do not want is a Greek talent, a highly touted Greek talent to go and just flop because that reflects poorly on the Greek league and Greece as well. Oh, Greek talents do nothing. We already hear it when Olympiakos or another Greek team sells a player to another league. And then doesn't do well. Oh, why are we ever going to buy talent from the Greek league? Like, look at look at what Liverpool fans were saying about Tsimikas. Oh, we paid all this money for Tsimikas, and he does not. He's terrible. It, 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 whether or not it's true, which I disagree one hundred percent. All Jurgen Klopp's fault. <laughs> but that's uh, what happens. Yeah. To be fair, it's it's hard to displace uh, arguably one of the best left backs in the world right now, and Andy Robertson. So I think he'll get his chance. He needs a rest. Andy needs a rest. There's no does, argument that Robertson's I mean, top, but he needs a day off, mate. Give him a day off. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think with with Liverpool being out of the FA Cup and the League Cup, and now the only competitions are really the EPL and the the Champions League. Those are sort of the no, ones that you want your best you're, players you're, to play in. You're in no competition though. That's how sh- that's how bad your team is. I, th- I thought this the the focus of this ep- uh, this episode was. It was, but nice. Liverpool <laughs> came up. I'm not going to rip you for your team being so bad the last month. Jolie is a very important player for for the Greek national team moving forward. Uh, and okay, yes, we played against you know the power played against teams that let's say are part of countries that have a lower that have a, a pretty bad coefficient in Europe. But let's not. 
forget where Greece has fallen. Uh, if you look at the standings, on paper, the Greek league is below the Cypriot league uh, at the moment. And this, it, it hurts me to say because, when was it? It wasn't even 10 years ago when Olympiakos, Panathinaikos, and Ike were all three competing in the group stage of the Champions League. When will we ever see that again? Now Olympiakos or whoever wins the Greek league will have to play at least two or three qualifying rounds in order to get into the group stage. Four. So this, four four that, qualifying it, rounds. You know, it, it pains me to hear that. Just knowing that within my lifetime, I, I witnessed all three Greek teams in, in the Champions League group stage. It's bad. Yeah. It's really bad. We actually just discussed briefly the coefficient after the PSV game. And Greece are still sitting in that 18th spot, competing with countries like Serbia, Czech Republic, Israel, Cyprus. These are the countries whose UEFA value is, is just as good, if not maybe a little bit better than ours in many respects, in many respects, rather. So... It, it is bad. We're, we're, we are in right now, or in the last three years, we can consider them the dark ages of Greek football. It's the worst our teams have been and the worst performances we've had in Europe. Now, there is a silver lining here, guys, though, because the Turkish League, which has been always pretty far up there, at least further than us for the last, last 10 years at least, has been super poor, and this year especially. The advent of Istanbul Basak Shahir, Erdogan's team, has meant the detriment of the Turkish league. And they are falling like a brick. If Olympiakos makes it out of this round, Greece will, for the first time in a decade, over a decade, be above the Turkish league in terms of the UEFA coefficients. So we're going to be in a better position. I think we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now with improvements from not just Olympiakos, but now Panathinaikos seeming like they're getting their act together. If I can make some adjustments, especially with their defense, Balk going through some growing pains. I think, I think we're going to see better in the future based on what's been going on. But yeah, it's, it's a bad situation. But I think there's some good things in store. We just have to get there and then hope that the club's more clubs adopt the, the model that Olympiakos has when it comes to trying to, to, to be a, a developing club, make some investments in the academies. Same thing Balk is doing and what Panathinaikos has pretty much always done. If we can continue with that, I think we will see better things from Greece. And to be fair, I don't think that uh, the UEFA coefficient that Greece has is indicative of the quality of the league. However, unfortunately for Greece, uh, teams just don't perform early on in the qualifying campaigns. And we saw it again this year with Adi. Um, and it's a real shame because Adi is playing some of the best football in Greece right now. Um, but uh, I, I actually just thought of something. And, uh, well, first first and foremost, Ari, I wanted to remind you that uh, Bakasetas is in Turkey and he is keeping the quality of that league so strong because I know you love him. and Savelas as well. You, you, do you want to do so this on your podcast? Do you, want, do you want that on your podcast? All well, the best wait, I, players play in Turkey. It's I, known. I, I did want to come. I, I did want to 
quickly talk about the national team and you can't talk about the national team without talking about the captain of the Greek national team. Um, but before we do that, uh, I, because I just thought of this, uh, I look at the left back situation at Olympiacos since Tsimikas left. And I don't know about you guys, but you can't convince me that what Olympiacos has right now at left back is better than Kutri, who is on loan in Spain, or sorry, in Germany now with uh, Dusseldorf. Uh, he's been getting in some games, um, but you know they brought in this Moldovan who, uh, again, the DAZN uh, announcer mistakenly confused him for a a gentleman from Montenegro. Yep. Just, <laughs> yep. I was like, oh, classic. Oh, he's such an idiot. And what's crazy is that in the first half, he mentioned how he's the Moldovan international. And somehow in the second half, he made him the Montenegrin international. Like, I don't know where they find these guys, but that's, <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, does Kutri still have a spot on this team? And, if the answer is yes, is it only if Pedro Martins moves on from Olympiaco at the end of the season? You know, the, the, the issue with Kutris is it's really sad, to be honest with you. I don't know. I haven't been keeping up that closely with him in Dusseldorf. What I do know is that he's not playing a lot. He's had one start, and it was in a cup game that they lost, and he was subbed off in the 70-something minute. He's had two other appearances since he's gotten healthy, and they were both 20, 30-minute spurts off the bench. Other than that, he's been either on the bench or not even selected to the bench. You know, we could say that potentially he's still making his way back. Uh, he clearly had a very difficult injury to recover from. We know the type of player he was before the injury. Um, you know, we go back to 2017-18, the year that Ike won the league, and Olympiacos were dreadful. He was one of the more promising players on that team and one of the few guys who stayed when Pedro Martins took over. The first year of Martins, you know, when uh, I believe Jimmy Gas was out on loan before we really saw him, Kutris was the starter and he was one of our best players. He was in the Ethniki at this point, starting for Greece. Unfortunately, right now, he's not that player anymore. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's hard for me to say whether Martins just won't consider him regardless or whether he's actually not good enough to be part of this team. One thing I should say is that the club has apparently shown interest in Liko Yanis, uh, the left back for Cagliari in Italy, who also has featured for the national team recently. Um, I would see that as a backup option for Oleg, who I have been very, very in love with since he's come in. I think Oleg is... You know, he's young and he's got some things to work on, but he clearly plays really hard. He cares about this team. And for a guy who only joined about a month ago, maybe two months now, he's gelled really, really well. Uh, so with regards to Kutris, I really think the best situation for him might be to move on. Um, just based on what I've seen, you know, if he can start to find some footing in Germany, and, you know, get a string of games together, start playing. Maybe he earns himself a route back into this team. But right now, you know, he's in the second division and struggling to get time. So uh, I'm a bit worried about him. 
do you guys think for a, a player like Oleg, uh, who comes from Moldova, does he come with like almost a, a chip on his shoulder, something to prove? Because traditionally, I mean, Moldova is not a Brazil or a Germany or a Spain that produces a lot of talent. And I don't know about you guys, I haven't heard about another Moldovan international player. Uh, so do you guys think that's to the benefit of Olympiacos that, you know, this, this player has something to prove and wants to promote almost, uh, you know, the, the, the football from his country? Well, Evan, two things there. First of all, and I'm quoting Greek national team manager Jan van Schip, Moldova are an incredibly strong defensive team. You know, if, if you think about Greece 2004, that's what Moldova are now. And that's why we didn't score very much against them. It was completely reasonable for UEFA Nations League C for us to not score against them. Moldova, huge defensive side, show them some respect. Oleg doesn't need to, you know, show us any respect because you already know that he's from Moldova. So he's a, a top defender. No, but seriously, um, I don't I actually don't know. Adi, I want your comments on this as well. I think <laughs> I think Oleg is more Portuguese than Moldovan, to be honest with you. Um, I believe he grew up there. Uh, I think he was in, he came up through the Academy of Porto, I believe, or one of the other big Portuguese teams. And then he eventually made it into the first team at Ferreira, which is where we bought him. One thing I will say about Oleg though, um, we were looking at him. We obviously wanted a left back. He was one of the options we were considering. Porto were also looking at him uh, as a backup for their left back, Zaidu Sanusi, who they also stole from us. So we were fuming when this rumor came in that Porto were going to get him. But Oleg said, no, I don't want to play for Porto. I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be the starter, where I'm going to get time, and where I'm going to be able to compete. And he said no to Porto and ended up signing for Olympiacos. So in that sense, I think he might feel like he has something to prove. Maybe he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder from Porto just bringing him in to be a backup. You know, Zaidu's a very good player, to, to be fair to him. And, and uh, I think Oleg, you know, showing us that he wants to play is, is really enough for me. And I think he has the chip on his shoulder for that reason. But I really don't know, you know, how much he feels connected to Moldova. I, I'm pretty sure he's like very Portuguese and just plays for Moldova because he has the eligibility and probably it's easier to get in there than into Portugal. Peter, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, the chip is on his shoulder, but from Porto. So I don't know how true this is, but we kept hearing that when we were looking at Rebchuk that Porto had this clause that they get first right to purchase back from, from Paco Ferreira or wherever it was that he was. Yeah, they had first right to, right. Uh, to get to, back. To yeah. get him back. So he was there, and it was more as like, I guess, for development reasons. But I think he took that personally because instead of them trying to blood him, bring him into the team the previous this past summer, they brought in Zaidu Sanusi instead. And he, I think he took that personally. And he also knew, hey, look, I'm going there as a backup because Zaidu is going to be first choice. He's having a, he's had a pretty solid season and he didn't want to be a backup. And at the same time, players know when they come to Olympiacos, they're going to get looks. They do well in Greece. They have a couple of good performances in Europe. That is the stage for them. And it's happened before with many players. Olympiacos is starting to build this reputation now, not just as a second chance saloon for out of favor players, but a stepping stone for players that are like in between that. They're, they're already not like academy. They're not really prospects. They're, they're professional players, but they haven't quite reached that, that developed potential yet. 
So we're getting that reputation, and that's what he wanted. And more power to him. And it's it's definitely going to benefit him in the end. For Kutris, I have always been one of the proponents that that situation has been completely mishandled. I love Kutris. He has a lot to offer this team. I know the injury was bad, and I think the loan move puts pressure off of him in a respect because he's in a he's in a team that's going to let him go and then play him. And he's been playing a lot more now since December. He's been playing a lot more, and the guy is is doing pretty well, in in my opinion, at least. Uh, he's he's solid on the dribble. He has he still has pretty good pace considering he's now had that knee injury. And I can tell you, after having two of them, you slow down. You're not going to have the speed that you once had. Second, he's averaging almost five crosses a game. That's Simikas level production from a wing back on the offensive end. Now, is it in second division Germany? Yeah, but these are signs that we like to see. So not that I'm against the Liko Yanis move because a former academy product coming back to Olivia is, is pretty cool. But at the same time, we have a guy that's done the job for us and had the starting spot over Tsimikas for a while. And it wasn't until Tsimikas' breakout season that he hit the bench. I still think something happened between Kutris and Martins, which is why this happened. There's something went on in the back room that we don't know about that we're not privy to because there's really no explanation for it. Yeah, I, I had that conversation with my dad yesterday and we came to the same conclusion. Something must have happened behind closed doors that we're not privy to uh, that kind of soured that relationship. And there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, it, it happens, right? It happens in everyday relationships that you have with coworkers or whatever it may be. Um, but the Liko Yanmi thing is a nice story. I think uh, he's one of the uh, best stories to come out of the Olympiacos Academy in the last 10 years. Um, so anytime an Academy kid comes back, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to, briefly touch on that because of uh, the conversation I had with my dad yesterday. And we, we spoke about Kutri and, you know, this guy, Oleg, I think he's, he's been excellent up until now. He just leaves something to be desired in the other team's final third. That, that, that's the way I see it. Uh, he's great up until you ask of him to cross. And you can tell every time he's, because if you've watched, we have an, a year worth of watching Tsimika where, where you, our eye is trained, where the left back gets up and we're expecting a cross. And you see this hesitation in the final third when Oleg gets up there and it's like, okay, cross the ball. And he's waiting, he's waiting. You don't get the cross right away. And so, and I think that's something that's going to come with time. Uh, he's, he's a great project. Uh, however, uh, don't forget, before Simika blew up last year, who was playing left back at Olympiaco the year before? It was literally 50-50 between Simika and Kutri. And Kutri was doing very well. And he had that epic game against AC Milan. And he obviously just, his emotions took over after the game. It was a... It's you can tell the kid loves playing for the club, and so I, I'd love to think that there's some sort of 
uh, way back for him. I I, I want to hope that him and Martins can bring it all together and make for a positive working relationship again. But at the same time, I don't think Martins is going to be here after this year. I know he's under contract. He has a buyout clause. Um, but I think he's going to be uh, a very hot name for some bigger clubs. Um, and just like you mentioned, Ari, Olbiakos has become this stepping stone club, which is great. That's what you want to be. You want to be known for something. So I think Olbiakos is kind of that next step to like a Benfica or a, or a Leverkusen. And then from there, you kind of make... I don't know why I went with Leverkusen. That's so random. But you, you make that next step. And, you know, you, you look at guys like Kamara. Kamara is ready for that next step now. Kamara is ready to go to, like, uh, a team in the German league or the Spanish league and kind of take the next step. Look, for Pedro Martins, I, I totally agree with you. <clears throat> he, he will probably move on to, I think, the EPL. He's an EPL-level manager. But how, how nice would it be if he went to Nottingham Forest, another club owned by Vagelis Marinakis, brought him to win the, the championship and then promotion to the EPL. And then in his first year, top six finish. Wow. Look at that. Look at that scenario. Uh no, I don't think he's gonna go to the championship. I think he'd rather play Champions League with Olympiacos. Uh, then go to the championship. That being said, once they gain promotion, I think he'd be a shoe-in. And I think that's kind of the plan that they were hoping for. But uh, Nottingham has absolutely blown up this season. They're fighting relegation in, yeah. in the championship, which is disappointing. Um, uh, guys, this has been a great discussion. Uh, I want to get... Uh, before we let you guys go, I want you to tell us about... Your podcast, uh, tell us uh, where our listeners can find you if they want some Olympiacos content and Greek football content. Uh, Ari, I know we didn't get into the Greek national team and uh, Tasos Bacasetas, but listen, there's uh, there's more episodes. I, I know there's a, a national team break next month. Maybe we, guys, uh, we have you guys on uh, for that. But... Uh, Tell our listeners where they could find you if they want some quality Olympiacos content. First of all, uh, don't remind me that we have to talk about the national team again. But Perry, I'd be more than happy to do it with you. Make it make it a bit easier, you know, having you and Evan around to to discuss Bacasetas playing 90 minutes and being the captain. Um, in general, I have to say uh, we are the Gate 7 International Podcast. You can listen to us pretty much wherever you find podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor. Just search Gate 7 International. If you go to our Twitter or our Instagram, um, you can visit Gate 7 INTL, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. Um, and that is an easy way to figure out how to find us. We're also on YouTube now. Um, just search Gate 7 International Podcast. We have a couple episodes up there. We intend to get video for some of the more special ones. Um, but we probably won't do it every time. Admittedly, it's more work for me. Um, but yeah, uh, we've really enjoyed the podcast. Um, it's a lot of fun. You know, we, we go into Olympiacos if that's the type of thing you're interested in, if you're Greek, uh, or if you're some weird person like me who just likes Greek football anyway. Um, I think I, I, you know, we have a fun time and, uh, 
we'd love to see more people get involved and, and uh, hear people's opinions and get the discussion going. And uh, also our listeners should know you guys have had some great uh, former Olympiacos players on the show uh, for interviews. So you've had Stelios Yanakopoulos, Matt Derbyshire, uh, Pars Zetterberg, and uh, are we able to announce your your next guest? Are yes. We, yeah? Yes. Adi, yeah. you wanna you wanna let us know because this this player, I'll tell you what, he wasn't anything special. He wasn't extravagant, or he wasn't the sexiest name, but he is the name that you drop to other fan bases. And it gets their blood boiling because he was one of the guys that they hated playing against. And the, the word that I think of when I think of this player is uh, in Greek, we have a, they have a saying when someone goes into a challenge really hard, Dolofonia uh, is the, is the, like, it's a really bad challenge. It's a, it's a bad tackle. So tell us about your next guest that you have uh, lined up for the show. I refer to players like him as bulldogs. That's that's just what he is. And uh, for your your Greek listeners, of course, they're going to recognize him. Uh, Zelia is coming on the pod. That episode will drop. Uh, I guess technically, when this drops, it'll be later this week. So we've been working on that for a little bit. Going to drop that episode. It's going to be an awesome interview. The guy already from the interactions we've had is really cool. We're excited to do that. Um, we have more stuff baking. We're, that we promised that this new year we were going to do a lot. We're going to offer a lot of content, really mix things up, and we are. So check us out. We got a lot of fun stuff coming up, a lot of cool stuff that we're going to be doing in the next couple months. We're really excited for it. And uh, be thankful that we didn't get to any of the Greek national team discussion, especially with Bacasetas. Nothing boils my blood more than right now than greek national team and 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 bacaseta so you guys dodged a bullet um well listen we have a national team game i believe next month i, I believe there's a international break um so i think uh we should have a discussion at some point involving the national team because um you know this is a team that has won a euro and unfortunately they haven't looked anything like that in a very long time and uh i think it's fair to uh, dissect some points and see how they can eventually make their way back to that um, to, be, to be fair it's a country that's won a euro not this team is nowhere near nowhere near a euro bakasetas has not won a euro <laughs> thank you evan that was well put so well put folks uh Thank you again for listening um, and following us. Uh, Peter, Adi, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a great uh, topic. And we have a second leg this week. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Oh, Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.